he will transform, expect to be changed. And so now, picking up on that, um, I want to move towards talking about us as the church, which is the body of Christ, being towards the world and towards each other, what God in Christ is towards us. So we now become a people of hospitality because that's how God treats us. And it couldn't be otherwise, could it? So I'm going to talk about, I suppose, the gift of the church and the joy of being part of a Christian fellowship. And it's a, it, the, the passage you've just heard read by Pauline is a, a classic passage about one of the biggest divisions that the church has ever known, and it was right at the beginning um, between the Jews who regarded themselves and had been told that they were the chosen people of God, and their sense that therefore everybody else wasn't chosen, and the extraordinary discovery that there were others who were chosen who didn't fit their understanding of it, who were called Gentiles, or in the old translations were sometimes called Greeks. So you get Paul talking now about there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. So class divisions are broken down, male nor female, but all are one in Christ. And so I've got to say a little bit more about um, how we are welcoming, first of all, um, to one another. You've heard those words, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. And so the first step is about welcoming one another. Now I know that because I've spent about half my life in countries other than England, um, a lot of the examples I use are from those other countries. Um, but in this very familiar environment in which you live, there are people who are as strange to you as the Gentiles were to the Jews. Am I right? And I don't know if you notice them. It's very easy to walk around the streets of a town and to think that everybody is the same. And it doesn't take long to discover that there are other groups, many of whom are not represented in the church, but might be, who are so different to you that they might as well be speaking a different language or have a different colored skin because they are that strange. So examples that I use from South Africa or Trinidad or I might throw in Brazil or somewhere else are examples that I could use from my own town of Ilkeston in South Derbyshire. And I'll just give you a simple example to get us into this. Um, Ilkeston was an old mill, mill town, an Anglo-Saxon name that's been there for centuries. And so you've got a lot of these three-story buildings with the top floor, the big windows, so that people could operate the looms um, in the daylight hours. And we live in a little, on the edge of Ilkeston, in a place called Cotmanhay. Cotmanhay was not a mill town, it was a separate village in the 19th century, and it was a pit village, a mining village. And because the people of Cotmanhay, where we live, were miners, the people of Ilkeston, who were millers, despised them because millers are superior to miners. 
And that is, you could tell me stories about this area and who despises who and who's an outsider and who's an insider. And you could tell me similar stories about the church. I know some churches where the women are outsiders because they're completely silenced. I know churches where the children are the outsiders because they're never given the chance to be at the front except to tell what happened in Sunday school. I know churches where the young or the old or the black or the white or the disabled are never given a chance. So the starting point for what Paul says about Jews and Gentiles are that before we can be a welcoming people of God to those outside, we need to be a welcoming people of God to those inside. And that's maybe the hardest bit. And it'd be nice if all the outsiders would just stream in and then we could be nice to them. And that would save us the trouble of being nice to one another. <laughs> all sorts of stories I could tell you. I'll tell you a couple about how the church, how damaging the church can be. Um, I had a little mission church in, in Trinidad, which was a converted rum shop. It didn't know you could convert buildings, did you? It had been a rum shop. It became a church. And, but it still had saloon doors. Um, so it made, you know, when anybody came to church late, you heard a bang, 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 bang like that. Um, which was quite good, really, because it meant that people tended to come on time. Uh, and I was in the uh, early stages of a service one day, and the congregation was sitting there, properly dressed, very po-faced, you know, because you mustn't have fun in church. We've said that already. Um, and the doors went bang, 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 bang. So, of course, everybody turned around to look. <laughs> now, everybody apart from me was um, Afro-Caribbean. So everybody was of the same race. I was the only one who was different. Through the door came a big, young, black man who happened to be a Rastafarian. So he had dreadlocks. And they looked at him, and he was a bit noisy. You've noticed the people out there don't seem to have good manners when they come into church. They don't know what to do. And they make noise, and they fidget, and they do all sorts of... Uh, well, the congregation, who were all of a race, all of a class, they probably knew who he was, glared. And he lasted five minutes, and he never came back. Never. Maybe he went somewhere else. I pray God so. The second story is from South Africa, where the bishop said to us, never ever take a service using only one language, because there will be people of many languages in the congregation, which was great on the day of Pentecost. Um, but it meant that each time we did the communion prayer, you know, the bit, Lord be with you, lift up your hearts. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. And then there's a lot of spiel that the priest says that ends with, and he took the bread, and on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and he broke it, and so on and so forth. Always used two languages. And I decided on this particular Sunday that I was going to do 
are English and classes. Sometimes I did English and French or English and Portuguese or there's lots of Portuguese where we were, English and Zulu, English and Sisutu, you can go on. And at the end of the service, someone came and whispered in my ear and told me that there was a woman sitting on the front and as soon as I switched from English to Klasa, which is Nelson Mandela's language, she tutted and she tutted continuously until I switched back to English. So being the kind of person that I am, the next Sunday I did more in Klasa. <laughs> Not to make a point, of course. Why was she tutting? Why was she tutting? The words that I was saying were the same words. Now, she was tutting because she didn't understand those words any more than I did. I was parroting them, but I was doing it, I hope, out of respect for the class of people in the congregation. Most of the congregation didn't have English as a first language, but she'd been in that church longer than anybody else, so it was her divine right to have it her way. And as soon as I start to think like that, I cease to be welcoming. This is my space, and if you want to come into my space, you come in on my terms. The trouble is that the Bible tells us, very simply, that this is not my space, it's God's space. And I stand here not by divine right, but by divine permission, terrified, but it's your space as well. And I've got to do with you what God has done with me. And to say, even though you don't speak proper, <laughs> even because you don't look proper, it's your space as well. And suddenly, life in the church becomes very complicated because it's not all for women or all for young people or all for people who like that kind of music or all for people who are minors or millers or, or, or. You see, I don't know how many people we are here, 80, 100, whatever. If I were to ask each of us the stories, we would weave a really complex fabric, which is precisely what God wants. But that means that in order for us to be welcoming to one another, we've got to give away a little bit of what I want. It's also complicated, and I did say this to the men this morning, <clears throat> because I've got to make space for people who don't have the same opinions about the Christian faith as I do. And there are some people here who are diametrically opposed to each other only we're polite and we don't talk about those things. 
Shall we talk about Brexit? No. <laughs> Shall we talk about Jeremy Corbyn or Theresa May? Yes. <laughs> no, we won't. But you see, the, the whole point about being a welcoming people is that we don't become welcoming by not talking about certain things, but by talking and receiving with grace those who have different perspectives. I'm letting it sink in because it's a hard thing. I've also got to make space for people who aren't quite sure what they believe at the moment. I guess that there might be one or two people in this congregation who aren't sure how much of this God stuff they believe at the moment. Have you ever had a conversation like that with someone in this church? You might be one of those people. What would happen if you said to somebody here, I'm not sure whether I believe in God anymore? Would the sirens start going off? Or would the thought police come and pin you to the wall and reconvert you? Or, or would the church say to you, don't worry we'll believe for you until you can believe again for yourself. Gosh, wouldn't that be an amazing church where people could express their doubts and their disagreements and know that God's heart was big enough because he said, come, and so, and we've been singing it, and so we say, come, come as you are, come and worship. Come and sing the words, even the words you're not sure about, because this body of people believes, and so you can be carried along in the river, even if you aren't sure that it's a safe river anymore. But it does mean that I am going to have to be inconvenienced if I'm going to make room for other people. I have resisted the temptation to express my opinions on Brexit. Whichever side I might happen to be on, happy to talk to you when I'm not in the pulpit about it. Because it would be so easy, wouldn't it, to think that all the people who believe voted the other way are complete idiots, because it's obvious what we should have voted. Only why did half the country vote one way and half the country vote the other? Because there's a case to be made out for both. And it ain't that easy. And some of us were so confused that we didn't even vote at all. And it's the same with welcoming one another. The first step to being the welcoming people of God is to be welcoming towards a one another. And that means, I'll, I'll read you these words that I've got at the end now, and then I'll move on to the second step. Let us all learn to listen without interrupting, to speak without accusing, to share without pretending, 
to enjoy without complaint, to trust without wavering, to promise without forgetting, and forgive. Amazing words, aren't they? Gospel words? Mm. They're kind of human words, aren't they? Really. I actually found them on a website um, quoting a Canadian Muslim. But they apply. And of all the places I want, I long to be welcomed, it's among the people of God. And there have been times when I have gone somewhere, this isn't happening here today, you have been, I'm not just saying this, you have been welcoming and you have been warm and you're, you've been responsive. I remember once preaching to a, in a little village in Devon at their Harvest Festival and I said to Jill afterwards, felt like there was a great plate glass wall here. And I could have said, Baba Black Sheep and they would, their body language would have been the same. They received nothing, they gave nothing, I went home, I wasted my time. Well, I hope I didn't. And I remember going to speak to a Christian union at Aston once, and nobody spoke to me afterwards. Not a peep. Not a peep. I was speaking on the fruits of the Spirit, and nobody spoke to me afterwards. So it happens, I've experienced, even as the speaker, nobody spoke to me. Well, maybe I was too big and important for all those students to speak to me, but it's easy to make excuses for myself. I'm shy, so I don't speak to you, you have to come and speak to me, and thank you for those of you who did. Actually, I have to put myself out and it's going to be complicated talking to you because you and I might not agree. I might not like everything you stand for, but you and I are walking with Jesus together. And one day Jesus will put you right. <laughs> <laughs> or not. I should move on. So I've just said it's complicated and it's costly. I've taken a long time saying it, haven't I? So the second step is about welcoming uh, the stranger in. And one of the things that, um, when churches are friendly with each other, they can become holy huddles, and that's the next problem. Hmm. Because you are so friendly. So you see each other and you want to have a whacking conversation. When we um, went to our first parish in England in um, North Devon. Uh, Jill came over before me and the kids, because me and the, kid, the kids were at school. And so she set up home, and she, they'd been really friendly by letter. I'd had loads of letters saying, we're looking forward to having you, and so on and so forth. And um, then Jill pitched up at a service um, and sat quietly in the back of the church, as is her wont. And... Um, she discovered that nobody talked to her either. She was the outsider whom they didn't notice because they were very sociable uh, with one another. And uh, one, of the, one of the blessings of that church later on was that I had one elder, whose name was Cliff, 
who um, would not talk to anybody who was a member of the congregation after the service. But he walked around with a little notebook and he, he knew everybody. So he knew who was visiting and it was a place where people did visit quite regularly. And everybody who Cliff saw that he didn't know, he approached, he spoke to, and he invited to his house group. That house group was a big house group by, by the end of things. But what was really important is that every meeting that we had, the elders meeting, he'd say, there were these five new people in church on Sunday. Here are their details. This is what we need to do. This one, just leave them. They didn't want too much contact. They just wanted to be there. These two are new to the area. This one's struggling with, and this one's dropped in from the day psychiatric hospital and needs some special care. I loved Cliff to bits, but Cliff carried the burden of welcoming the stranger in. And one of the things that I think that we are all called to do by Paul is if, you're, if you think of yourself as the Jew, is to look around and see where the Gentiles are. If you are a, an oddball, to look around and see where all the people not like you are. And what do you do with them? How do you find a way of connecting with them? Just before I ask you to talk to each other again about um, what I've said, um, there is something going back. I've had a conversation with one of you over coffee about this business of coming home. And one of the things that we really struggle with in our society is where home is. And there are a lot of people who do not know what home means. And in order to welcome the stranger in, this must become... What would this church look like if it were to be a place where people could walk in and just be at home? take their shoes off, go oh, that way that you can only do when you're at home. But this country is hungering to know where home is. And one of the things that we're struggling with politically, and I will talk Brexit for a moment, is that we are so confused about our identity as a nation that we're trying to put up walls so that we know what it means to be British. And the more we put up walls, the more confused we get about what it means to be British. People need to find a home. And of course, Britishness is not going to save you any more than Trinidadianness is going to save me. And here, this is, this is where the kingdom of God is at work. This is where people can discover that there is a home that is bigger than nationality or racial identity or gender or gender confusion or all of the other things that we look to to give ourselves identity. Identity is the big crisis of the age and home 
is where someone says, I don't care who you are, you belong here. I don't care who you are, you belong here. You've got a father in heaven, you've got sisters and brothers in Christ, and you've got a savior, and we've got endless patience until God's got you sorted, and that'll probably be long after I'm dead. So a church with patience. Talk to each other for a little bit, and again, talk about what you've heard. And if you're tired of talking to the person next to you, find somebody else and talk to them for five minutes. Adele.
you need to have your throat seen to, don't you? <laughs> I won't um, ask you to feedback. If any of you wants to say anything, uh, feel free to do so. Or, I should have said earlier on, um, feel free to heckle. Uh, I, lo I love... Yeah, I mean it. Give me time. Oh, <laughs> oh you were cranking up to it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Just keep the tomato, you know, don't waste the food on me. <laughs> I don't want to give you the impression that being a welcoming people is simply about bringing people in here. Though that is part of it. And I still think that the, um, the gathering in of people from the highways and the hedges is a part of the ministry that we have. And in this country, there is still um, some goodwill towards the church, which means that some people will come in and if they find a home, they may stay and hear the gospel. But the third step is actually an outward movement, you've talked, and that is going out in welcome, going out in welcome as a church, corporately and individually. Uh, and I'm going to talk more individually because it's not for me to say what Pip and Jim's should be doing in the community because you are doing um, and there's much more no doubt that you can and will do in the future. Um, but I don't know the context and I don't know the vision and I don't know what God's saying to this church. And I'm not about to write a Revelation-style letter to it. So I will talk individually, but some of the individual things are things that ought to be done um, corporately. And there are two particular things that I want to say um, under this um, heading. Whoops, I didn't write them down here. The first is that we need um, to be uh, a people, a welcoming people, who make our communities feel at home by painting those communities in kingdom colours. I'll repeat that. We need to make people feel welcome in their own communities by painting those communities in kingdom colours. I'll talk about the street that I live on. We, Jill just sorted a house for us that we could afford and we live on an anonymous street in an anonymous place called Cotman Hay in an anonymous part of the East Midlands. We are not the vicar. They know we're retired vicars, but retired vicars don't have a job, so we are nothing. We're just people. So they're waiting to see what people will do. And I don't know what God wants us to do, particularly on that street. Can't go up and down door knocking. The Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses do that um, till we're all tired of it. Um, and it's no use saying to people, I'd like to talk to you about God. I did that in our local pub called the Bunt Pig. Um, and the landlord said, oh, no, we're all right, thank you. That's what people say if you start to preach to them. But I think, and I'm not using, I'll try this phrase on Jill when I get home. I think that what we're trying to do is to paint our street in kingdom colours. For the sake of the street, so that people can see 
that there is something more and ask why we're doing what we're doing. And the answer is, in the words of the song, because there's so much more than this. Simple things. We planted a tree. We don't have a wall at the front of our house. We just have a patch of grass, which the cats use. Um, I have never used so much pepper spray in my life. But we have planted a maple. And it's the only tree on the front of the street, because it's a very treeless place. And we planted it as a, it was a gift from our church near Cambridge. So it's a thank you to them, but it's a gift. So it's a bridge between where we were, Combaton, and where we are, Cotman Hay. And it's really interesting, because I had a conversation yesterday with grumpy old man Mole down the road, who tries to slag people off. And here's another way of painting the street in village in kingdom colours. Every time he starts to gossip about somebody on the street, Jill says to him, John, if you go on talking like that, I shall walk away. He's almost stopped gossiping with us. I wish I could say he's almost stopped gossiping. He's almost stopped gossiping with us. Yesterday, he called me over. He's very hard of hearing, so you have to get up very close to him, which makes the gossip even more offensive. Uh, and he's, he's, he's redone the front of his house, and he's put astroturf down. Oh! But in the middle, there is a lovely, very expensive stone uh, shape, kind of pattern. And he said, don't you think a plant pot would look nice there? You know where I'm going, don't you? And I said, yes, I think it would, John. And I can picture just the pot. Uh, and he said, well, maybe I should put some flowers. And I said, well, I think a tree would look nice in one of those big ceramic pots. And then you could plant... Um, bulbs around it, and you could put winter flowering pansies on top, and so on. He said, oh, that's a good idea. He said, I think I'll be coming to get you to do it for me. <laughs> now, that's a very long way from telling him about Jesus. A very, very long way. And I'm not getting my hopes up. But the tone of the conversation in one house on the street is changed just a little bit. Do you get what I mean about painting the street in kingdom colours? And it's not rocket science, and it doesn't need a theology degree. But it might need some baking fingers sometimes, or some green fingers, or a lending hand. The druggies up the road asked Jill for a pair of pliers when they moved in because they wanted curtain wire cutting. And we're the sort of people that have tools. So we now talk to them, and she calls me my darling every time she walks past. And that makes me feel good, because to hear words of endearment, even in Derbyshire, where they're quite commonplace, is a kingdom colour. We know 
what God's like, and we are amazed by God and delighted by God and celebrate the creation of God. And so we're in the business of giving it away to our streets. What does that look like in Walderslade? Well, here's what it looks like in one corner of the Isle of Wight. I think it's Newport. When I went down to Christchurch in Dorset um, to do some examining, I met on the station a woman who told me, first of all, that her husband was a militant humanist who died two years ago and wrote a book, How to Die Well Without God. <laughs> Small g, which I have now read, and it's a very sad book. But I then discovered that she is a bit of a Christian. And we've kept, so we're now Facebook friends. And by the way, if you want to be Facebook friends, Adrian Chatfield's the name. There are only two, so you'll find me easily. This woman, Helen, who's now a widow, is a consultant in homelessness on the Isle of Wight. And several weeks ago, she had a conversation with a homeless man who's got a history of mental illness, a young man. And she bought him a coffee, talked to him for quite a long while, and then two weeks later, he committed suicide. And she... Um, posted the picture of the flowers around where he used to sleep on the street. Now, it's a tragic story, but what Helen's trying to do in a deeper way than my example with the tree on the street is to paint the Isle of Wight in kingdom colours in the face of the deep tragedy of homelessness, which is our nation's story too. And you know what's really hard about it is sometimes it doesn't seem as if there's much return on your investment. <clears throat> but you go on because God goes on with you. And you're scruffy and the homeless are scruffy and they're hard bitten. And it's really tricky. And John Mole's hard bitten. Everybody in our streets hard bitten. That's the only reason they've survived as long as they have done. But we need to paint in kingdom colours and not give up. I'm damned if I'll stop being a Christian now. I've invested too much in it and I'm waiting for the returns. The second thing, which I think is the last thing I need to say, is about treating people as people. We don't want to befriend people in our communities because they are evangelism fodder, because they might come to church. They matter even if they never come to church. They matter to God even if they never come to God. Would you like me to say that again? They matter to God even if they never come to God. And in any case, God is the only judge. So I never have to write anybody off. I never have to write anybody off. And so we need to treat people as people and not as evangelism fodder. Because if you treat them at nicely so that you can get them to come to Jesus, you've probably already failed in the task. 
if you love them for who they are, they will one day start asking why it is that you love them for who they are. And one day somebody might say to you, I wish we had more people like you on our street. Wouldn't it be lovely to hear that? Not because you're posh, not because you're educated, not because you're rich, but because you've got something. You shine. I wish there were more people like you on our street. It would make all the difference. It's not a long step from there to the kingdom of God. And when you think of the Samaritan woman, whom I think I've already mentioned, and Jesus sitting with her, we kind of, because it's written in a particular way, it's all condensed into a very short thing. But do you know what Jesus does with her when he sits at the well and he's thirsty? Is he treats her as someone worthy of conversation and respect and dignity. Woman, give me water. She's a woman. She's a Samaritan. She's a nobody. And Jesus sees her as someone who can minister to him. And then, of course, they have the conversation. And when they have the conversation, it all comes tumbling out. And it comes tumbling out quite quickly. And then she rushes back home and says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. And so on and so forth. But Jesus respects people even when he knows they're going to turn against him. He treated Judas with respect and dignity. And that's more than I would have done. So, painting the village in kingdom colours and treating people as people. And I'll read the words of the Canadian Muslim again and then I'll end. Let us all learn how to listen without interrupting, how to speak without accusing, how to share without pretending, I've got a limp too. How to enjoy without complaint. How to trust without wavering. How to promise without forgetting. And how to forgive. And he's right. And that's what the Christian gospel is. It's at the heart of the Christian gospel. So. It's there. And these can be made available after the weekend. Um, so you've got some of these little bits of text. So I've said these three things before um, coffee. And the fourth kingdom value is that we are a kingdom community who are welcoming to one another, who are welcoming to strangers, and we work at it, but welcoming not just inwards, but also outwards. Isn't that precious? These are simple things, friends. Uh, because I think that programs and plans and mission statements and all of that are all very well and good. But the simple thing is about being a Christ-like human in the context in which God has placed you and not thinking, well, if God sent me to South Africa, then dot, dot, dot. But actually, God sent me to Walderslade. What colors can I paint Walderslade? Because it's pretty drab a lot of the time, like cotton hay. Shall we be quiet for a moment? Just close our eyes and then 
I'll um, pray and hand back to Steve. Father, I pray that you'll um, help us to learn that in your kingdom there is the art of the possible. And that is that I can think of myself as accepted by you. And I can say yes to you in return and then say, help, change me, because I can't do any of this. But then as you change me and change us and we become even more of a community, take us, Lord, and help us to do the little things that make the big things possible. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over to you, Steve. Thank you so much. You have given us a lot to think about. The word fellowship springs to mind.